The following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the Word of God without apology. For more information about our church, visit our website at harvestberry.ca or email us at info at harvestberry.ca. We trust that this message will challenge and transform you. Well, good morning, Harvest. just want to add my word of welcome to all of you. Happy uh, long weekend. And uh, not to state the obvious, but I think this kind of marks the unofficial halfway point of summer. And uh, I hope that's not a downer thought. I hope you've been having a great summer. I hope you've uh, you know, got stuff you're looking forward to in the next several weeks. Um, but it seems like we're the people who didn't have any plans for this weekend, right? And uh, we're kind of here. And I, but you know what? I can't think of a better place to be. Uh, Barry's a great place to be in the summer. And uh, where better to be on a Sunday morning than when God's people worshiping and, and opening up his word. So, yes. So, uh, so good to be together today. Uh, you know, this morning we're going to talk about the topic of boldness. And uh, bold is one of those words that we use in multiple different contexts. You know, sometimes we'll use it to describe a person's clothing or their hairstyle or their home decorating scheme. Doritos has a brand of chips called Bold Barbecue, which I highly recommend, by the way. Uh, there's a Canadian travel magazine called Bold, a Canadian-made smartphone called the Blackberry Bold. Ladies, you may be familiar with a brand of mascara called the Revlon Bold Lacquer Length and Volume. I had to do research on that one. <laughs> Last week uh, was the trade deadline in Major League Baseball, and uh, both the Oakland A's and Detroit Tigers pulled off deals that were widely referred to as bold. And as a Tigers fan, I was very excited about that. I could go on and on. And I haven't even mentioned the word uh, in the context of how an individual thinks or speaks or behaves. And when we label a person as bold, it it often has an audacious or even aggressive connotation. In many people's minds, boldness equals brashness. And it's not necessarily a characteristic to be proud of or to be sought after. Well, this morning, I, I hope to bring some clarity to this whole notion of boldness as we study a guy from the Bible named Nathan. And if you're just joining us, we're in a study uh, this summer, a summer sermon series Um, called Everyday Heroes. And uh, we're looking through the pages of Scripture um, at regular people, people just like you and me, not not extraordinary superheroes like Batman or Superman or Captain America, just ordinary, everyday guys and gals. And we've been looking at their lives and we've been seeing how God has been at work in and through them and how He did some remarkable things through their lives. And we've been highlighting a, a particular characteristic or a quality that seemed to define each person. And so if you've been here every week this summer, you would have heard these messages. We looked at, uh, first we looked at uh, the prophet Hosea and we learned that he was sacrificial. And we looked at Rahab and, and learned that she was faith-filled and, and Hannah and talked about her fervency. And then last Sunday, Mike uh, opened up the life of Jonathan and we learned about his loyalty to his friend David. Wouldn't you agree those are some incredible qualities that we should all seek to implement into our lives? Yeah, we would be uh, everyday heroes if we would do that. And so that brings us to Nathan. Anybody know anything about Nathan? Something, maybe a little bit? You've heard the name before? Well, he was a, an Israelite prophet who ministered during the reigns of David and Solomon. And as you may know, prophets were, were God's chosen spokesmen, and they were frequently called on 
uh, to point out where the nation and its leaders had deviated from God's ways and alert them to the impending doom and gloom that was coming if they didn't change and then just exhort them to repent and to return to the ways of the Lord. And as you can probably imagine, those kinds of messages weren't always all that well received by God's people. We don't like to hear those kinds of messages today either. And Nathan makes a few brief appearances in Scripture, but, but really he's best known for the episode in 2 Samuel chapter 12. And I just want to invite you to turn in your Bibles there right now, your Bibles, paper version or smartphone, get it open uh, to 2 Samuel chapter 12. And while you're doing that, let me just kind of give you the context that we see in, in 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel 11 records one of the most famous or perhaps I should say infamous stories in all of scripture. Despite being a man after God's own heart, David spirals out of control with a series of very, very bad choices. And you can read all of the gory details for yourself later. But essentially, if this is kind of new to you, he lusts after another man's wife named Bathsheba. And he leverages his position as king to summon her to his palace. He commits adultery with her, gets her pregnant And then David tries to cover up his sin by arranging for Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, to come home from battle and to sleep with her, even to the point of getting him drunk. And when that plan failed because of Uriah's, his faithfulness, his commitment to his fellow soldiers and to the task that was still unfinished in war, David got desperate. And he instructed the the captain of the army to put Uriah where the fighting was most intense and then to pull back so that he would be killed. The strategy works, and after an appropriate period of mourning, David is free and clear to take Bathsheba as his wife and to raise this child together as a couple, or so he thinks. And it's into this terribly tough situation that God calls Nathan to act on his behalf, to speak for him. And as we'll discover, Nathan proves himself to be a man of true boldness. And he leaves behind a clear pattern for us to follow as we too seek to live boldly for the Lord. And that's where we're going this morning. But before we do that, I just want to invite you to bow with me for a moment and ask God to open up the pages of Scripture to our hearts. Let's just do that for a moment. Father God, I do thank you for the power of your word. And as we've already heard, that it is is living and active. And God, that it will accomplish the purpose that you set out for it to accomplish. And God, in this moment, I am well aware of the strength of the message and the weakness of the messenger and god that's that's really a good place to be because that means you are the one who will do the work and so father i pray that you will take my words and most of all your words god that you will drive them deep within our hearts and that you will make us more and more into the people that you want us to be and specifically god this morning that you would grow within us this godly boldness that we see in the life of nathan So thank you in advance for what you already have been doing in this time and what you will do as we look into your word. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I think as we get started, it would probably help us to to define our terms. As I said at the outset, we use the word bold in, in many different ways, many different contexts. And we've probably never stopped to consider what it truly means really kind of boil that all down. And I've spent a fair amount of time this week reflecting on the boldness that we see in the life of Nathan and 
in the uh, other characters in Scripture and also in the people around us, whether Christian or not. And so here's what I've come up with as a definition. You'll see this in your notes. I'm defining boldness as acting with courage and conviction when there's reason not to. Acting with courage and conviction when there's reason not to. Just let that definition sink in for a moment. There's kind of three key parts to that definition, to that meaning that I've given. First, boldness requires some sort of effort. It requires an effort. We actually have to do or say something. It necessitates action. It's not just an emotion or a feeling or something deep inside. It comes out in action. Second, boldness reveals a principled strength. We dare to take a stand either for or against something. There's both courage and conviction. It's principled strength. And third, boldness anticipates pushback. It anticipates pushback. We recognize the reasons for not getting involved, and yet we still do it anyway. Is that clear? Does that make sense? So boldness is acting with courage and conviction when there's reason not to. And friends, I just got to say, this character quality is oh so desperately needed in our day. Desperately needed. And the opportunities for us to be bold really are all around us. Just think with me about this. When a fellow student at school is being taunted and teased, will you demonstrate boldness? Will you stand up for kindness even though your schoolmates may turn on you? When a fix-it guy offers one price if you pay by credit, but a lesser price if you pay by cash, because, you know, the government doesn't need your money anyway. They've got enough. Will you be bold? Will you politely but firmly express your desire to pay the legit price, even though you really could use the savings? When your supervisor is pressuring you to fudge on some numbers to make things look better for his boss, will you respond with boldness? Uh, Will you convey your commitment to integrity, even though it could cost you a much-desired promotion? When you discover that a friend is dying a slow death on the inside due to a hidden pattern of sin... Will you be bold? Will you risk the relationship and confront the issue even though it may lead to an angry outburst or a a detached distancing in your relationship? When you're chatting with your neighbor and the door opens for you to share about your faith, will you demonstrate boldness? Will you testify to the saving grace of Jesus even though it may get a little weird and you're not sure what to say? What's the specific opportunity for boldness in your life? Right now. Can you think of one? I hope so. And I want you to keep that in mind throughout this message. But I just need to remind you the opportunities to be bold are everywhere. And the question simply is this. Will we rise to the occasion? It's not for lack of opportunity. It's will we seize the moment. And we can and we will if we follow the example of Nathan. As we work our way through 2 Samuel 12, we're going to see six steps in acting boldly. Six steps. So let's start with this one. I am bold when I make sure God is in it. I'm bold when I make sure God is in it. Here's what I mean by that. Whatever the situation is, is that inner prompting to act with boldness coming from the Holy Spirit? Or is it coming from myself? Is it all about God or is it really about me? You see, the, the truth of Jeremiah 17.9 is 
is something that can't be ignored. Remember that verse? You will, I think. It says this. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked or desperately sick. Who can understand it? And so the prophet Jeremiah is painting a vivid picture of of who we really are at the core. And it's not just our external behavior. It's not just what we say and what we do that has been tainted by sin. We're flawed internally as well. It's our thoughts. It's our it's our desires, it's our attitudes, it's our motives. They're, they're evil as well. And that's why we need to start by taking stock of our heart condition. Because that inner prompting to act boldly may not be from the Lord of heaven and earth. It may just be from this guy right here who's trying to be Lord himself. That's where it may be coming from. And so, for example, am I thinking I should demonstrate boldness in this situation because God is clearly leading me in that direction? Or is it really an issue of my own pride? Am I, am I honestly more concerned with, with making a name for myself as that guy who, who acted with courage and conviction? Is that really what it's all about? Or am I contemplating this bold action at the, at the very clear prompting of the Lord? Or am I just responding because I'm feeling angry or I'm, I'm wanting to settle a score? Am I truthfully doing it out of a, a jaded desire for some kind of personal justice? Friends, we need need to make sure God is in it. Because if God isn't in it, I don't want to be in it either. I mean, demonstrating boldness, acting with courage and conviction is hard enough when God is in it. How much harder, how much more ridiculous when he isn't even behind it. I just want to forget that plan. Now for Nathan, it's pretty clear that God is in it. Look at the first part of verse 1. It says simply this, And the Lord sent Nathan to David. The Lord sent Nathan to David. Not a lot of confusion there. We don't know exactly how God did that because the text doesn't tell us, but it's quite possible that God spoke to Nathan through an audible voice. That was something that he commonly did in the Old Testament and especially to his leaders. Today, our direction comes most frequently in in other ways. It often comes through the clear truth of God's word or, or through the inexplicable nudging of God's spirit or through the the wise counsel of God's people, and often it comes through a combination of all three of those things. How that all works out depends a lot on each specific situation. But the main point here is that we need to make sure God is in it. We need to make sure that that he is in it. And the first step in the right direction is simply pausing to ask the question. Just simply pausing before running off and saying, God, like, are you in this? Is this something that you want me to do? Is this inner prompting to... To demonstrate boldness, is this about you, God, or is this just really about me? That's the first step. But there's a second step in acting boldly. Not only do we need to make sure that God is in it, but we need to exercise wisdom in the approach. We need to exercise wisdom in the approach. I think we all realize that the manner in which we do something is just as important, if not more important, as what we actually do. And if you're married... Uh, you've likely had the experience of saying something that's true to your spouse, but doing so at the wrong time, or with the wrong tone, or in the wrong setting, or with the wrong choice of words. Don't leave me hanging up here. Anybody else been there? How did that go over? Not great, right? Not great. Well, in many ways, this is just common sense stuff, but you know that what they say about common sense It's not all that common. And so we need to be reminded 
about this whole thing of exercising wisdom in our approach when it comes to acting boldly. And I think we can detect Nathan's wisdom in his approach in, in three very specific ways, three key ways. You may want to jot these down in your notes. First, we see that Nathan chooses a wise time. Nathan chooses a wise time. Notice the last verse of chapter 11. Just go back to there. It says this, And when the morning was over, and that's speaking about the morning of Uriah when he had died, When the morning was over, David sent and brought her, that's Bathsheba, to his house. And she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. According to this text, Bathsheba has given birth to the child that she had conceived with David in that adulterous relationship. And the last time I checked, that means an absolute minimum of nine months have passed since David's sin. I done the, the math right? At least nine months. And many scholars actually believe that, that more than a year had passed. So let me ask you this. Do you suppose that Nathan is just finding out now about David's sin after all this time? Do you think that God just shows up kind of between chapter 11 and, and chapter 12 and, and says, Hey, Nathan, I, I just... Um, I should probably fill you on the fact that uh, Nathan, uh, that David has committed adultery and um, he's committed murder and I need you to go talk to him. Is that how you think it went down? I don't think that's how it went down. People aren't stupid. People aren't stupid. Write that one down. They knew full well what had happened. They may not have had TMZ or Twitter, but word got around. Trust me, the kingdom knew what David had done. Nobody had had the the strength or the fortitude to do anything about it. So why the delay in dealing with it? Why this nine months or a year period? Why this lengthy period of time without addressing this? Well, sometimes addressing issues as soon as possible is the right thing to do. But other times, allowing some breathing room is, is really, it's healthy for both parties. It increases the probability that the person acting boldly will demonstrate appropriate courage and appropriate conviction without, without sporting an attitude or being abrasive. And it's more likely that the person on the other end will be receptive to that boldness. We also need to keep in mind something really, really important. And that is this, that just because we aren't doing something doesn't mean that nothing is happening. Just because we're not doing something doesn't mean that nothing is happening. In Psalm 32, David records his experience of of sinning with Bathsheba and and the turmoil that came from that and then the blessing of being forgiven by the Lord and all of his reflections on what happened in 2 Samuel 11 you can find in Psalm 32. I encourage you to look at it. But he touches on this time between his sin and Nathan's approach. He he talks about what it was like in that in-between period. And this is what he said. He said, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand, God, was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. In other words, God had something to accomplish in those intervening months. And who knows how David might have responded to the prophet without that desert season in his life. And so there's no magic formula. There's no one size fits all to this. But we need to carefully consider the time and choose a wise one. 
Secondly, we also need to choose a wise place, not just a wise time, but a wise place. As I look at verse 1, it says, And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, As best as I can see it, it, it appears that this is a private conversation between the two men. Would you agree? You don't see a whole bunch of people gathered around. It looks like it was a, a one-on-one conversation. And one of the most widely respected and widely accepted principles in Scripture is do to others as you would have them do to you. You know, we call that the golden rule, right? And people of all faiths and people of no faiths proclaim the wisdom of this statement. And I think it definitely applies here. If, if someone were going to deal boldly with me, if they were going to, to challenge my thinking or, or confront my behavior or speak truth into my life or whatever they might be doing, I'd certainly prefer that they would do that privately. And you probably prefer the same thing too, right? I mean, like who wants to be shamed or embarrassed or cornered publicly? Nobody likes that. If that's where it happens, my response isn't likely to be a good one. But in a one-on-one setting where my defenses wouldn't be up and, and where my dignity could remain intact, I mean, the chances of an ultimately positive encounter would be much higher. Right? Makes sense? Well, of course, again, every situation is unique and, and you don't always have the opportunity to act boldly in, in, in private. I mean, you might find yourself in a scenario where you need to demonstrate courage and conviction in response to a larger group, maybe, maybe in a classroom setting, for example, not, in, not with an individual. But Nathan here shows us the, the value in exercising wisdom about the place and about the time And finally, about the method. Wisdom in the when, the where, and the how. Nathan chooses a wise method. Notice what he does. Let's look at verses 1 through 4. It says this, And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and, and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But instead he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Essentially, Nathan comes to David and says, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a story. I mean, who doesn't love a story? David's no exception. Hey, did you ever hear that story about the man who only had one, one lamb? No, no, I've never heard that one. Tell that to me. And the story accomplishes a bunch of things. It, it hooks David in and it, it gets him thinking. It, it furthers the, the trust and the rapport between these two men. It communicates a powerful truth without direct accusation. It, you might say that it preaches without being preachy. And it, it lowers David defenses and it, it readies him emotionally for what's just around the corner. It, it kind of gets David and Nathan on the same side of the issue before the application is made. Alexander White, a Bible scholar, says it this way. He says, Nathan's sword was within an inch of David's conscience before David knew that Nathan even had a sword. It's worth noting that many prophets use stories, whether 
whether they told them or even acted them out to communicate God's message. We've already seen that in this series through the life of Hosea, who, who acted out a very dramatic story from the Lord. And you remember, Jesus himself told parables frequently to make his point. People would ask him a question, and he would launch into a story. And there's something to be said for using narratives to convey truth. But that, that's not really my point and my main thrust here. Fundamentally, I just want us to see that Nathan chooses a wise method. Again, every situation is unique. Every situation requires our, our thoughtful approach. And we need to exercise wisdom with the when and the where and the how. Are you thinking about that in the context of, of your opportunity for boldness? So just a reminder, boldness is acting with courage and conviction when there's reason not to. And that's what we're going after. And, and now here's this third step that we see toward that kind of boldness. I'm bold when I recognize the inherent risks. I'm bold when I recognize the inherent risks. And this thought really ties in with the last part of the definition. The inherent risks are those reasons not to be bold. The reasons not to be bold are those risks. Those are the reasons why we don't want to act with courage and conviction. And we see David's anger come out. Look at verses 5 and 6. After Nathan tells him that story, it says, Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. You see that kind of anger, that kind of outburst from from David, and it's not hard to imagine some of the inherent risks that Nathan is facing. Remember, the Old Testament times weren't like they are today. This wasn't a democracy. The king wielded absolute authority, absolute power. David could end Nathan's career as a prophet like that, dragging his name through the mud before all Israel, pushing him to the very margins of society. Even worse, he could end Nathan's very life, permanently eradicating this so-called troublemaker. Our lives aren't on the line, though for believers in some part of, of the world, standing boldly for Christ may lead to martyrdom. But for us, the inherent risks are, they're a little different. The things like I mentioned earlier, maybe losing a friendship, maybe forfeiting a job promotion, maybe sacrificing your own reputation, maybe being made an outsider of a group, on and on we could go. And I'm not trying to discourage anyone, I'm not trying to be a downer here, but we need to recognize the inherent risks that come with acting boldly. We need to be aware of that. And then rather than, rather than pulling back, rather than saying, forget it, it's not worth it, we need to push ahead. That, that's step number four. I'm bold when I, when I lean in with decisive action. Up to now, Nathan has, has made some good moves, but he really hasn't come right out and said what needs to be said. That's until verse seven. Look at what he says. Look what happens in verse seven. He set David up and then he levels him with this. He says, you are the man. You're the man. David, that guy we've been talking about in this story, that's you. That's you. He leans in with decisive action. No, no, no more skirting the issue, no dropping hints, no giving clues, no avoiding the hard stuff, no beating around the bush, no hoping that David will, will somehow kind of put the pieces together and figure it out. 
It's as if Nathan walks up to the edge of the cliff and then steps over it. Get that sense? He leans in with decisive action. And I think oftentimes that's where we come up short. We make sure God is in it. We, we exercise wisdom in our approach. But then as we begin to recognize the inherent risks, we, we get sidetracked and we never really finish the job. We, we kind of kind of fall short of that courage and conviction thing and we kind of bail out on bold, we just bail out on boldness but what we desperately need to do is is actually lean in with decisive action uh, this summer i've been uh, just for fun reading a book about the uh, the history of espn for those of you who don't know what espn is it's the worldwide leader in sports a sports network uh, tv channels radio network website all of that and this book kind of chronicles its start back in the late 70s up to this day. And um, back in the late 70s, when everybody thought the idea of a 24-hour sports channel was ridiculous, uh, they blazed a trail and made it happen. Anyway, the book talks about how in the first decade or so of that, of that network, really working there was a lot like living in a frat house. And uh, a lot of um, young people right out of school, mostly men, and working long hours out in this remote part of Connecticut, nothing to do. And uh, it, it really wasn't a pleasant environment, particularly for the few women who worked there. It was a, a sexually charged environment. And um, very, uh, the very few women were exposed to all kinds of harassments. But they really felt like they had nowhere to turn. There was no HR department, and it was all men in the upper ranks, and they really didn't know what to do. They feared the fallout of raising a ruckus. And so they just kind of stuffed it. And finally, this rising young anchor named Carrie Ross, she'd had enough. She wasn't going to put up with it anymore. And they had this company meeting for some other purpose and all several hundred employees were gathered in this room to, to hear whatever the upper-ups wanted to share. And Carrie, nervously yet boldly, stepped up and called out the men and demanded that the inappropriate stuff stop once and for all. And slowly but surely, things began to change. Friends, God wants us to be bold, to, to act with courage and conviction when there's reason not to. And whatever bold action you're contemplating, whatever bold action you're, you're sensing that inner prompting with, lean in with decisive action. Of course, none of this is easy. None of this is simple. But it is easier when we're bold about the right stuff. It's easier to do the right thing when you're doing it about the right stuff. And that leads us to the next step. I am bold when I stand up for what really matters. When I stand up for what really matters. Listen to Nathan's words as he speaks to David and speaks on behalf of the Lord. Pick it up in verse 7. Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and, and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have, have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. 
Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. Look at verse 14. Nevertheless, because of this, by this deed, you have utterly scorned the Lord. The child who is born to you shall die. Do you notice what Nathan stands up for in this section? Let me mention three things really quickly. First, Nathan, Nathan stands up for God's character. Nathan stands up for God's character. He reminds David in, in verses 7 eight, and 8 how God had, had shown him his goodness and his grace. You may want to underline this in your, in your Bible. God says, I anointed you. I delivered you. I gave you all that you have. And I'm willing to do even more. Nathan doesn't want David to forget God's character. Because the tendency for all of us is to attribute the blessings in our lives to our own efforts rather than to the good and the gracious hand of our awesome God. So he stands up for God's character. Second, Nathan stands up for God's values. He goes on in in verses 9 through 14 to to outline both the wrongdoings that David had committed and the consequences that are, are on their way. Unless David or any one of us thinks that God takes sin lightly, these verses, they bring us back to reality. They remind us of God's high standards and his moral ideals. Really, that, that's what his values are. And they can't be broken without serious repercussions. And thankfully, Jesus lived a perfect life that we could never live. And then he died and he rose again to provide forgiveness from the penalty of sin and, and freedom from the power of sin. And it's our privilege, it's our responsibility as Christ followers to live according to God's values. God's character, God's values. And third, Nathan stands up for God's reputation. He stands up for God's reputation. You might want to circle these words in in verse 9. See the word there, despised. In verse 10, despised. In verse 14, scorned. He talks about David despising and scorning the Lord. And really what Nathan is getting at is that David has made a mockery of God. He's tarnished his reputation. He's dragged God's name and his honor through the muck. In fact, some translations of verse 14 actually say it a little differently. And they indicate that David's sinful choices caused the enemies of the Lord to scorn the Lord. I mean, God's reputation was tarnished among the people of God and even out into the pagans who didn't even care about him. It had that kind of wide-ranging effect. And so this morning, as you reflect upon your opportunity for boldness, and I hope you've been thinking about what that might be, is it about stuff that really matters? Not behavioral quirks, not personal preferences, stuff like God's character, stuff like God's values. Stuff like God's reputation. We've only scratched the surface with all of those. We could say so much more. But I just urge you, stand up for what really matters. Don't waste your boldness on lesser things. Well, here's the last step that I see in this story. 
I am bold when I trust God with the outcome. I'm bold when I trust God with the outcome. We can't control what ultimately happens when we act boldly. I hope that's somewhat obvious to you. It's a, it's a hard pill to swallow because we all want a happily ever, ending after, uh, happily ever after ending where everything just works out the way we all hope for. And it's just smooth and beautiful. But there's no guarantees in life. Remember that ESPN story I told you about? I'm sad to say, but Carrie's contract wasn't renewed after her bold action. She never worked for the station again. God calls us to act with courage and conviction and then leave the outcome to him. You can read the rest of of this story. I'm not going to read the remaining verses. But uh, suffice it to say, it had its ups and downs. Negative-wise, the out-of-wedlock child ends up dying as God had promised. And Nathan's prediction of, of incredible family turmoil eventually comes to pass in David and with his sons. On the positive side, David repents of his sin and, and he receives God's forgiveness and, and he retains his position as king and his own life is spared. And God gives Bathsheba and him another son named Solomon. So it, it's kind of a mixed bag, some good and some bad. But Nathan doesn't allow the potential outcome to dictate his actions. He acts boldly and he just, he leaves God to write the final chapter. And we see this principle throughout the pages of Scripture. I just want to give you a couple of examples as we come to our close this morning. How about the story of of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? You guys remember that one? Very famous story in Daniel 3. And these three men are told and instructed, demanded, to bow before the golden image of King Nebuchadnezzar, as were all the people. And to this point, they had refused and Nebuchadnezzar gets in their face and gives them one last chance to either follow his orders immediately and completely or to be thrown into the fiery furnace and burnt to a crisp. And I just, I I love their bold response. Listen to what they they say in in Daniel chapter 3. They say, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If what you're saying happens Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if not, even if he doesn't, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Don't you love it? They act boldly and they just, they trust God completely with the outcome. God, you could deliver us. Maybe you won't. It doesn't matter. We are not doing what's wrong. Perhaps the best example of this is Jesus Christ himself. Just think about it. He declares his bold agenda like this in John 4.34. He says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That's speaking of the Father. And as Jesus' time on earth is coming to an end and he is, he's painfully aware of the ultimate sacrifice that is yet before him, he prays this way in Luke 22.42. He says, Father... If you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. After three years of bold ministry, the son trusts his father with the outcome and it takes him to the cross for you and for me. 
Friends, are you willing to trust God with the outcome in your situation? This character quality of boldness is oh so desperately needed in our day. Will you seize the moment rather than shrinking back? Can I encourage us together? Let's recommit ourselves with God's strength to act with courage, to act with conviction when there's reason not to. And let's follow the examples of those godly people who have gone before us. Amen? Let's bow together as we close. Father God, I want to thank you so much for this incredible example that we see in the life of Nathan. A man just like us, not a superhero, not a saint, just a regular guy who you chose, who you called to accomplish your purposes. And God, I want to thank you so much for the courage and conviction that we see in his life, even when there was a reason not to. Father, I want to thank you for uh, you, this example that we have for our own lives. And God, we, uh, we live in a world that desperately needs boldness. And so, Father, I pray that we would heed the challenge this morning. Father, I pray that we would walk in the steps of Nathan and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, even our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we would be people of boldness, people of courage and conviction, that we would draw a line in the sand and say, that, that's it. God, help us to stand up for what really matters, your character and your values, your reputation. God, may we just leave the results to you. Trust you that you will do what's best. So Father, I pray that you would speak to each one of us in this moment. God, would you, if you haven't already done so, would you reveal very, very pointedly, very clearly what that bold step may be that you are calling us to? to be your man, your woman, to stand in the gap and to act for you. God, give us the the courage and the conviction to respond. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We always love hearing about the work God's doing in our listeners. If God's been doing a work in you, send us an email at info at harvestberry.ca. And remember, you are loved.